Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. I'm Sally Gentry. The trio, guys. The, the trio. Big, Thanks big for joining three. us here today on the Gifted Life. We have lots to get to. We are prepping for quite a month, okay, in April, Donate Life Month. That's one. So we're always very busy increasing the donor registry, increasing donation awareness, but also... Prepping big, for an anniversary. Big anniversary. Yeah, here for Lopa. It is. It's going to be on April 1st is the 29th anniversary of Lopa's existence. 29 years of making life happen. Wasn't always easy. Nope. We're going to take you down memory lane. Yeah, we're going to give you a bit of a history lesson. We'll take you back to the beginnings of organ procurement and now to present day and see how technology, especially in computer software, has streamline the process of organ procurement in the United States. And we can also tie that into how we now support our donor families. Through the technology, we can now really see what is going on for our families and how we can do a better follow-up post-recovery. And as always, we honor a hero. That and much more on this episode of the Gifted Life Podcast. We're so excited about it. We want you to help us spread the word. It's so easy to find us and it's so easy to share. You can absolutely find us on iTunes, Google Play, or whatever your favorite podcast app might be. Even I can do it. It's pretty entertaining too. Uh Check it out. All right. If you're on social media for work or for play on Facebook, we're Donate Life Louisiana. A lot of what we talk about here, you can find there. Twitter and Instagram at Donate Life LA. Check us out today. And you can also give us a call. And that number is 504-648. Three, four, seven, seven. We may even play your message on the podcast. Joe, I think one episode, she might break out in song. The 504-648-3477. Yeah. I hope that's stuck in your mind, too. We hope you give us a call. We want it to be interactive. Uh, We want to make life happen, but we need you to do it. You guys ready to get started today? Yes, I am. Here we go. As we talked about at the top of the podcast, April 1st begins National Donate Life Month. So we are prepping for quite a celebration, a full month to celebrate the gift of life and encourage discussion and registration as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. For this episode, we take you on a journey, if you will, guys. First back in time to the beginnings of organ procurement, then to present day to learn how computer software has streamlined the process of organ procurement in the U.S., And what we have learned, not always smooth sailing, huh, Joe? It was not always smooth. Back in the day, as we like to say. Back in the day, Sal. You heard (laughs) that. Back in the day, huh? So the first organ to be transplanted was actually the kidney, and that was in 1954. A lot of people think that it's been around for, you know, years and years and years. it's, It's really relatively new, but it was done from a living donor. And one of the biggest challenges early on, there was rejection Mm -hmm. uh, with the transplants. It wasn't until the late 60s before the liver, heart, and pancreas transplants became successful. And one of the things that they realized was that they were more successful 
with identical twins, the most successful, and then, of course, sometimes with siblings. Mm -hmm. So cyclosporin was developed in 1971, but it didn't really come to fruition in the transplant world until uh, early 80s. And that was the big advancement that everyone was waiting for. That allowed transplants to take place from non-identical twin or non, mm-hmm. you know, very closely matched individuals. It was the original anti-rejection therapy. So that's when everything started popping off in 1984. National Organ Transplant Act, also known as NOTA, mm-hmm. established nationwide computer registry that was operated by UNOS, United Network for Organ Sharing, which we've talked about in a few segments. And then it also authorized financial support for OPOs, organ procurement organizations such as LOPA. Now, of course, we're talking 1984 at that point. Now, each state was different in timeframes on when the OPO in that particular state was initiated and how that would look. It wasn't until 1988, April 1st, 1988, when LOPA was... Born. Originally born. Yeah. And so to help us kind of talk about the origins and the trials and tribulations that LOPA, you know, had to address throughout the times, we've got the Director of Clinical Excellence with us, Michelle DuVernay. Hey. Right. How's everybody doing we need today? To a, we needed to get a clap button, a you clap know, for <laughs> when you come in. We have these big guests in here, but we appreciate you coming. This Anytime. is actually another appearance on the podcast, right? This is my second. You must love us. I love everybody here. When's your third appearance? Um, we'll talk about that after you stop recording. <laughs> so, so Michelle wasn't the first one to flip the light switch, but she was certainly here almost on the second day. <laughs> and she's kind of our Lopa historian. A few days later. A few days later. You know, so what happened between 1984 when NOTA was, was established or established the OPOs till Lopa was born? What kind of hurdles were in place there? I think you actually talked about a great point when you talked about cyclosporin. After the development of cyclosporin, the world saw a huge reduction in the amount of organ rejections after transplant. So at the same time, this actually was when across this country, we saw the most transplant centers being formed um, in every state. And that ranged, some states had one, some states you may have seen six, seven, or eight pop up during that time frame. So that's when NOTA really took notice of this and um, decided that the government kind of had to get in this transplant world to try and help control what was going on at the time. For instance, here in Louisiana, uh, in the mid-80s, we actually had four transplant centers that performed abdominal transplants. And that could be liver transplants, kidney transplants, and or pancreas transplants. And the way it worked back then, because there was no truly adopted national registry, each state just kind of worked on their own, and each center within that state worked on their own. And they would be offered organs from different hospitals across the state, mainly the hospitals that were not transplant centers. So then the transplant surgeons would go and recover the organs, bring them back to their transplant center, and transplant them. I can definitely see a disparity that can be created with this. Obviously, if you've got them calling certain transplant centers, how do you know maybe they had a sicker patient in a neighboring transplant center? So obviously, this must have been a huge issue. 
It was. And, and in addition to that, it also, I, I think one of the things that um, people started realizing was that we were not transplanting as many organs as we possibly could be right. transplanting. These gifts were not being maximized. So what did people have to do to make sure that we maximize these gifts? So in Louisiana, the four transplant centers got together and started talking, and they decided among themselves that it was time to make donation statewide. So everyone in the state who was waiting for a transplant had a much fairer shot right. of getting their transplant in the order that they should get it. That's when Loper was formed in 1988. April 1st, the doors were opened. And I'm, I'm thinking back to <clears throat> 1988, and I'm thinking about technology. Not a lot of technology no. going on then. We, I'm thinking pen and paper. Uh, for the for the most part, we did everything pen and paper. And if you want just a little funny story on my first day at LOPA, I really didn't know what to do. And I came from working in an OR. So computers to me were pretty foreign at mm -hmm. the time. So when I asked my boss, what do I do? Uh, she told me to sit down at the computer and play solitaire because it would help get me used to working on a computer. That's a good point. So for the first week of, um, if we didn't have any cases, I sat at my desk and played solitaire. Your Commodore 64. So, and, and we shared computers back then, so it might be one computer for every four or five people in the office. So we would just take turns playing solitaire. Yeah, if we funny. weren't doing cases. Well, it seems like it so, worked because you're director of clinical excellence now, you know <laughs> what I mean? So so you started, like you said, you, you hadn't really had much engagement with, you know, computers at the time. And, of course, we did a lot on pen and paper. So tell the, the listeners out there a little bit more about Lopa's communication back then and how you shared data and, and what you even used to collect and keep the data. Yeah, so I'm thinking, again, I'm going to hit you with this. So I'm thinking the 80s. I was around, but I was just a little tea thing like you, diapers. <laughs> but uh, fax machine, sure I'm thinking were. pagers. I, I don't know. Pagers, definitely, absolutely. We all lived by our pagers. It's funny looking back because now everybody thinks that in the 80s, everyone did everything by a fax machine. And when I first started, we were thrilled when somebody that we were working with on the transplant center and actually had a fax machine. Oh. That was few and far between. Wow. So yeah. if, if a transplant center had three coordinators who took calls and offers for their patients and w we knew one of them had a fax machine, you prayed that that person was on call mm. that night with you. So you could well, fax a chart to them. That must and have been now, terrible for that one so, person. <laughs> well, then now you have a computer in your hand. Now you have it in your hand. But uh, back in the day, as Joey said, is one of our, our favorite <laughs> oh, yeah. phrases, which I know I probably tend to use more than a lot of people. <laughs> we did the majority of our work with pen and paper. We would actually just write everything on our hand-printed charts. So you would you know, just fill everything see problems in. with that. Um, <laughs> well, we're, we're gonna get to that in a few minutes. Uh, we're gonna get to a couple of the really big problems. But luckily for us, at least during that time, there were fax machines at the hospital and there were fax machines at the local mm -hmm. office. So when our coordinators on site would complete their handwritten chart, they would fax it into, um, into the LOPA office. And the LOPA employee who was working in the office on the case would then run the list through the UNOS computer to find who was up next, first, second, third for each of our organs. And then we would call a phone number that was listed on the printout list, and we would actually make that entire offer to them verbally. Mm. Our charts were about 15 pages long. 
of information. Um, and just to give you an example, if the patient had been in the hospital for five, six days, and they maybe had um, nine to 10 sets of lab work that they had done throughout that, and each set of lab work consisted of maybe 30 different labs, we had to read off every single oh, one. Nice. We had to read off the date and the time, the result of every single lab, go to the next one. TikTok, wow. so I'm thinking verbal, yeah. time, time. A, a yeah. I'm in order, errors. Yeah, a verbal offer could take 40 to 45 minutes to do one. Wow. Yeah. Um, if it was a patient who had been in the hospital for a while. So we have a database. We've always had a database at LOPA um, that was strictly used for the purpose of housing data. So after our cases were complete, the coordinators would come back and then they would input all the information from the paper charts into our database. That's actually when I started back 15 years ago. We had just started with our the database that we're currently using, and, and that's what we would do. We would, I would fill out the chart, and of course, Michelle, you know, I was the on-site coordinator. Michelle was uh, placement, the, the you know, person here in the Metairie office. I've seen your writing, though. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, then worry I'll, about this, Joe. So, so, I mean, of course, <laughs> look, she mentioned it. You're, you're writing, you know, 20 pages of, of documentation, yeah. and then I would fax that to her, and then we would communicate, you know, back and forth. So, that was, it was and, a challenge. And would decipher. Um, what he wrote. The cipher for me was a challenge. Because so, sometimes lots of he couldn't even yeah, decipher what he wrote. I think I meant this. Oh, God. So, <laughs> so, so as Joey said, we were in the process and had just kind of developed our own database. Um, and that's when we kind of really realized that, you know, technology could really be our friend and benefit us. We made the decision to start letting the on-site coordinators actually just put the information directly into the database instead of having to handwrite the chart and send it in, then the um, placement coordinator in the office could just print straight from the database. So the relief on Michelle now, and Brenda's now, face. Now, for me personally, that was the biggest advancement <laughs> in transplantation <laughs> to this day because um, we 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 were protesting that if this didn't happen, we some of us were going to stop doing placement because two of our coordinators and one of them who happens to be sitting right here next <laughs> to me, um, Mr. Joey Boudreau, because we could not read their handwritings, it took us twice as long to do these cases. I had because, the title because the every time they would send something into us, we had to find them on nope. the phone first and then get them to tell us what they wrote so we could rewrite it. <laughs> So we were rewriting oh. every chart that they wrote and sent in to us. So technology was a gift. So technology in, in this area <laughs> for us was mine. a huge, huge gift. And and I think that's when we first started seeing the cases kind of progress at a little faster yeah. pace, at a little more, um, the, the progression was more um, synchronized. So then UNOS made advancements with UNET and allowed us to upload and share data through UNET, which wasn't an availability before. Before it was just kind of uh, to, to you know have the list. Yes, and that's when we took our system one step further and created what we call an upload. So now for us, the information is put directly into our database from the donor hospital, and it is um, uploaded directly into the donor net system. And it also allowed us to make more offers at the same time in DonorNet, we can put out five to 10 offers at the same time. Right. And the transplant centers 
go directly to DonorNet and read the information for themselves. Wow. So, it, so the, obviously the amount of lives now that can be saved just because of those advancements, you know, over the past few years, we went from, as Michelle said, you know, in her early days where it was, you know, 45 minutes here, then you move on to the next 45 minutes. Now we're, we're making, when you're talking about seven organs and five to 10 offers at a time. So, so you're talking about basically 30 to 50 offers that can be out there one time essentially versus one. Yeah. Versus seven organs, five to 10 offers per organ and 45 minutes per offer. Right. And technology guys still evolving. So we're going to talk about that in our next segment. Michelle, we appreciate that. Acting as Lopa's historian. Great job. That's right. Anytime. All right. We'll see you next week. Podcast recording. I think I'm on PTO. <laughs> if, if not, You're I'll be. You're never off. What are you if, talking if, about? If not, I'll be putting my request in. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Michelle. You, Thank you. Guys, we talked about technology still evolving. It's our friend and making life happen. Joey, I know you missed a couple of episodes because you were in some pretty intense training because of this new software that's coming in. Yeah, Lori, as a matter of fact, I was doing some training for iTransplant, which is part of Transplant Connect. We've recently decided to make the change from our database to iTransplant. And this is LOPA. Right. Yes. We as in LOPA in Louisiana. And with us today, we have Wade Liu. He is the Vice President of Product Development for Transplant Connect. Hey, Wade, how's it going? Hey. Hey, guys, how's it going? Thanks so much for having me. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Congratulations to you guys for uh, passing over the 50-episode mark. That's 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 quite exciting. Wade, you are good. (laughs) Thank you for listening. We love, (laughs) love, love our partners. Yeah, I'm a big fan. But we really, yeah, we really appreciate you guys helping us on this transition that we're going through. We talked about technology really helping us in the transplantation world to make life happen. And so you're helping to streamline that. So tell us about this eye transplant to make someone like me out in the community understand. Sure, no problem. Lori, if you don't mind, I'll start with the organization. The organization name is Transplant Connect. And we're out here in Santa Monica, California. We're a certified public benefit company. And all we do, all we focus on, 100% of our energy is on providing modern and secure software solutions to this very specific and critical space of donation and transplantation. We've been focused on this mission since 2004, and we're the creators and providers of the eye transplant system that we're very excited about having LOPA utilize. So the eye transplant system tracks and facilitates the end-to-end clinical and operational organ, tissue, eye donation and transplantation process. It's in place for over 100 agencies around the world, including over 40 here in the U.S. and up north in Canada, and including as far away as Australia, where 100% of all the organ donors and transplants in their country occur through the eye transplant system. So um, a little bit about the organization itself, since we're kind of looking back at, you know, how we've gotten to where we are with technology trends, et cetera. Our founder, John Piano, still our very active CEO today. He started the organization after a long career in corporate law. And I think it was back in the early 2000s, he arrived at a point in his life where he wanted to pursue something perhaps more meaningful in his life, and that is by no means intended to insult any of the lawyers out there. Um, And coincidentally, right around that time, he had a few things happen in his personal life. Number one, he had two people in his personal life become in need of a life-saving transplant. And number two, he became personally acquainted with some folks in the transplantation space, 
including some surgeons, etc., who really educated him on donation and transplantation processes back then. And as many of you know, which at the time, those processes were, were very paper-based, mm-hmm. a lot of faxes, a lot of phone calls. You know, there were stories about, you know, something as critical as a blood type being written in people's handwritings. And as we all know, that that's very, you know, penmanship that can cause some problems. And, that's, you know, that was kind of susceptible to that, to that era. It's funny you um, should mention that, Wade. But, Joey uh, helped you create <laughs> this. We, he was we, a problem. It's funny. We just talked about that in our last segment. Uh, one of the reasons we went to our database, R-Cubed, at the time we did, was, well, so what I've been told is because my handwriting was so poor, <laughs> they were afraid we'd have that very mistake. So You are a pioneer, Joey. <laughs> Thank you for what you do. So it wasn't just me is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> it was a nationwide yeah, yeah. issue. So. so basically, Joey, you're the reason why we're here. <laughs> See? Over and here we are. Here we are. So wait, as we speak about handwriting and and we talk about pagers and everything's over the phone so clearly you guys created a, a huge database what exactly you know does it do sure no problem i'll describe a little bit about itransplant for sure but here at transplant connect we provide a variety of, of software solutions to our donation and transplantation partners and they range in, in nature we have system interfaces we have state donor registry solutions we have online data registries that help enable statistical studies that drive improvement and we're in the thick of building out a new transplant patient management system, actually, which is a, a modern solution designed for transplant centers to better track and provide care for their patients, both for the folks that are waiting for a life-saving organ as well as some folks that have already received one and continue to get check-ins and care provided by their transplant center. But for sure, uh, probably what we're most known for is the iTransplant donor management platform that we're talking about. At a high level, the iTransplant donor management platform is a web-based system, so it's accessible for LOPA and all of our partners via a browser like Google Chrome, and it's used to track and facilitate the whole clinical and operational donation process. It all starts from that very important prospective donor referral from the hospitals, your ME coroners, your funeral homes, et cetera, to LOPA or to the OPO or donation agency. And then from there, the iTransplant system provides the electronic workflow for identifying donor eligibility, accounting for clinical and history factors for organ, tissue, and eye donation, it also captures the, the very key family discussions of donation, culminating in that legal authorization and the medical social history questionnaire. From there, it covers the clinical care provided by the OPO to maximize the gift of donation, all the donor management, all the assessments, and of course, then the recovery of the life-saving and healing gifts and disposition of those gifts. And it also enables some streamlined QA workflows to ensure the entire process has all the T's crossed, all the I's dotted as well as a hospital development module that helps donation agencies foster their positive relationships with their, with their partners that refer donors to them and play a critical role in that overall process. And finally, of course, I think we're going to be spending some time talking about our family services module that's focused on enabling and streamlining the aftercare process for our donor families, which is, of course, so very important. So that's just kind of an overview of the system functionality. It's been created through many years over the past decade of collaborating with our partners that have been using the system. We like to think that the software system is never a finished product. It's always evolving. It's always subject to improvement. And that's a, a big part of what we do. We're constantly working to improve it, evolve it, enhance it, not only to keep up with you know, uh, new regulations, but also just to make the user experience more streamlined and the overall process much more efficient. Right. When we were talking about the history of transplantation, 
there was the pagers back then, those beepers, you know, mid-80s, you're thinking about this. And then they had the one fax machine that you would hope somebody would know how Mm -hmm. to work till all of these things were able to do. And sometimes in the palm of your hand. So available on all devices, this eye transplant software you were talking about? Yeah, absolutely. We host all of the hardware, all the servers, et cetera, that really make the system uh, work. But for the end user, all they need is an internet browser, basically. You just access the system via Google Chrome. That can be on your laptop. That can be on your tablet. That can be on your phone. Uh, We have a mobile-optimized version of iTransplant called ITX Go. So literally, as coordinators are walking through perhaps a hospital um, and running into some of the the champions that they, they speak with, they can log interactions in the hospital development interaction module on the fly with the whole voice-to-text functionality and all that good stuff. So it is accessible uh, wherever they are, especially in the day and age where everyone has a smartphone, right? Yeah, Yeah. and one of the things that we talked about was that it it was hard to track down folks. Like, it would take so long to get in touch with someone like Joey who's in a unit because you didn't know where they were in that unit. And and this just seems so fast, so fast-tracked in order to make that life happen. Anyway, we talked a lot about how our database, how it ties into DonorNet or, or kind of the list, you know, the UNet, and how it can be uploaded. And of course, iTransplant software allows for the same thing. Now, the biggest upside of iTransplant, or one of the biggest for us, is instead of having to, to try to figure out a way over every hurdle or, or you know, go around anytime we have issues, We've got over 40 partners, 40 other organ recovery agencies, so we can lean on our partners and have a best practice and have the best solution as opposed to trying to figure out what just works best for us. So, Wade, that's one of, you know, of course, that's one of you guys' uh, biggest pluses there. Yeah, absolutely, Joy. I appreciate that. And certainly, I think that's really been one of our keys to success over the last decade. You know, our partnership and our collaboration with our Transplant Connect partners. So, for example, to, to kind of what you mentioned, um, every year we host uh, an annual user conference. And this year, it's actually, gosh, it's just a month away, April 20th and 21st in Newport Beach. And literally what we do is we host a two-day conference and bring in people from around the world, all users of iTransplant, to come together to talk about nothing other than how we can further enhance, expand, and improve upon the iTransplant system for everyone. So in those meetings, for example, where people, maybe it could be as far away perhaps, there's the same coordinator in Seattle, and maybe there's a coordinator in Texas, maybe there's a coordinator in New York. They're all very different service areas, but they all have to abide by the same regulations, policies, and are all trying to achieve the same goal. So why not just bring everyone to the table and come up with a solution that, you know, factors all of the different perspectives, the different considerations. So really the end result becomes a collective genius and product of all that brainstorming. As opposed to, as you mentioned, Joey, perhaps, you know, having to feel like you're at it alone and having to come up with solutions all the time yourself. I think that's really been a key to our success. I want to give a shout out to all of our partners over the years. You know, they've played a critical role in evolving the system. I really do hope they all feel like the system's theirs. We really do do our best to, to do that in a best practice fashion. So thanks for mentioning that, Joey. Wow. And I just hear forward progress and it makes me smile. Like what I always say, you never know what tomorrow is going to bring in the in the donation world. And, and this is it today. Wade, we want to ask you to hang tight. I know that Sally has some questions for you as well about eye transplant and servicing our donor family. So hang tight, Wade. More to come. <music>
on with Transplant Connect behind our eye transplant software, the new software that LOPA is moving into, and the whole goal about just keeping up with this technology is to make life happen. So we talked about that in the donation world, but Sally, you also want to talk to him about our donor families and how this software helps in that arena. Yes, I do. You know, when I first came to work with LOPA 17 years ago, there was a database, but with limited information. And so as I began to put together the program, I started looking out to see, you know, what are other people doing? How are they doing this? And over time, as technology has evolved, we are finding now that, you know, the input that we can get from the coordinators, from the family approach staff, regarding dynamics of what's going on with the family gives us a lot better insight as to how we can best follow up when we make our phone calls out to the families. And so as this is evolving, how will I transplant make this even better for us to follow up with families? Great. Thank you so much, Sally, for that question. I think maybe if you don't mind, I'll I'll try to tackle the question this way. Our our iTransplant Family Services module is predicated around a single principle, and that's kind of based off of over the years, we've had the chance to visit many OPOs, many iBanks, many tissue banks, and we've had a chance to work closely with a lot of amazing bereavement and family support professionals like yourself, like Libby, like Nyla, like Lynette at LOPA. We've had a chance to meet with a lot of folks around the country and the world that that serve in that role. Uh And what's funny is that we always come back to our home base at Transplant Connect talking about those interactions and coming back very inspired frankly, thankful that there are so many high EQ and good-hearted people like yourself that are out there doing an amazing job supporting the heroic donor families as they go through, which is, of course, what is the ongoing and emotional journey of having just lost a loved one. So what we try to do at Transplant Connect with the iTransplant Family Services module, to answer your question, is to try to provide all of the coordinators that do that very challenging and a very amazing job of bereavement and aftercare with tools that make the administrative and operational aspects of the job that much easier and simpler so that you can focus your attention on providing quality support for your supported donor families as much as possible, including having a database for all your key interactions and planning and coordinating amazing and inspirational events, rather than having to spend your time maybe pouring over Excel spreadsheets, you know, putting together distribution lists, figuring out who you need to call when, you know, we want you to be able to focus your time on, on doing the amazing things that you do. So with that said, we built the family services module in our transplant to provide our partners a tool that gives them immediate visibility in terms of the aftercare correspondence that is due, including alerts for any special care needed for the next of kin and the donor families you work with, um, safeguards to ensure no correspondence slips through the cracks, built-in handling for perhaps any next of kin or family members that uh, no longer want to receive correspondence from you. And also, as you mentioned, that key aspect of making sure that all the information that was perhaps collected in the early part of the process is visible to the bereavement and aftercare coordinators. Mm-hmm. So that's all built into the package, along with some automation for letter correspondence, providing all the coordinators a solid first draft for any outgoing letters that can then be personalized by the staff as needed before you put them in the mail and send them out. It also, as I mentioned, provides a database for tracking all your interactions with your next of kin, your family members. Your coordinators always have a running chronological history uh, for all the aftercare correspondences that you guys do. 
So you'll always know that perhaps for a donor family member that you last spoke to maybe a couple months ago, you can always jog your memory because you work with so many different donor family members. They're all special, but of course you want to have a centralized repository to remember all of those correspondences. And of course we have reporting functionality in the module that allows your teams to measure the activity, um, see how you're doing, and also plan your forthcoming events for your donor family ceremonies, et cetera. So it's all supported by the eye transplant system. Our family services module has close to 1 million family interactions stored in it today, with well over 120,000 different letters generated every year. And we've certainly seen an uptick in activity in this area in terms of system use. I wanted to give a quick shout out, if I can, because this is pretty impressive. Uh, the folks out at Live On New York, they're another US OPO. They service a population of about 13.5 million in the New York City area. They actually submitted an abstract and a poster to a recent healthcare systems process improvement conference regarding successfully adopting lean practices for uh, improving that donor family aftercare process. And what they concluded from their lean study was that, and what they put in the abstract, was that significant process efficiencies were gained with the adoption of the eye transplant family services module, allowing their aftercare team, and this is pretty astounding, to increase the volume of aftercare correspondences by over 400% and increasing their timeliness performance in terms of getting those aftercare correspondences out by over 75% without any change to their staffing model. So that's a big shout out to them. And I'm really proud that they've been able to achieve that success through use of the system. And we've heard from other OPOs and other eye banks, tissue banks of similar types of success. Our primary objective is to follow that donor family and provide them with the best possible service. So that's really our goal and how we're looking at our program. And it sounds like with this type of software that we might we might be able to do an even better job than we're already doing. <laughs> they get five stars here, man. Thank you to Wade. Thank you to Transplant Connect and, and iTransplant. We really appreciate you guys working with our LOPA staff uh, to get us moving in the right direction. It's going to be a great partnership, and we look forward to seeing this progress. So thank you. We love your podcast. I think I told some of you guys that we actually use your podcast as some of our orientation material for some of our new staff here at Transplant Connect. Um, so I know that they're going to be listening. As in. what not to do, Wade? <laughs> you guys do a great job. Thank so, you. So uh, if you don't mind, I wanted to, you know, in addition to obviously all of our partners out there that help us evolve the system with your great ideas and your inspiration and your, and your genius, you know, I wanted to give a shout out to our amazing teammates back home here at uh, Transplant Connect in Santa Monica. We do all of our operations in-house, so for all of our product managers, our analysts, our architects, our software developers, our quality assurance experts, our coordinators, you know, they could be working on online shopping carts, social media sites, video games, et cetera, which is all obviously awesome, but wanted to give them a shout-out because they focus their energies just like our partners do on this uh, very important mission. So, hi, guys. Thanks so much for everything you guys do, and thank you guys for having us on the podcast. And we say thank you as well. Good partners. Thank you so much. We appreciate the information. It is that time here on the Gifted Life podcast to honor a hero, one of our favorite segments. Yes. In this episode, the hero that we'll honor is Tina Brown. And this comes to us from the family. Listen to this story. I'm writing this as a heartbroken baby sister, but also as the proudest sister one could ever be. My sister Tina was such an outstanding woman. She always knew how to make someone smile when they needed it the most. She was constantly making jokes and being silly. After high school, she signed up with the U.S. Army. She came home shortly after, pregnant. At the age of 19, she became a mom. 
She loved her daughter more than can even be put into words. Being a young mom did not hinder her one bit. She worked at a restaurant and would use her tips to buy food for the homeless. It's rare to see a single mom do such a thing. She was such a great woman. On August 10th, 1991, while on her way home, she met her fate. She lost control of her car and crashed into a light pole. She was transported to a local hospital where she was pronounced clinically brain dead. After numerous tests and prayers and wishes, my mom knew there was nothing else to be done. We had lost her. This is when the most important decision ever came. Tina always made it known that she wanted to be an organ donor, but the decision was still my mother's. She honored Tina's wishes, and with the loss of her daughter, was able to see the impact Tina could still make on others. That night, Tina saved several lives and improved even more. That is what makes her a true hero. I love that. Want to see Tina's picture? Want to read more about her? Visit our heroes page at lopa.org. And now let's pause to say thank you, Tina, for the gift of life. our question and answer segment. This coming to us from info at lopa.org. You too can send us your questions there. My loved one was a donor many years ago, prior to when the internet and computers were mainstream. Can I still get assistance connecting with their recipients? Well, that's one for you, Miss Sal. That is. And yes, you can. That's a very simple answer, I suppose. (laughs) But we do have access to our databases. Even though it may have been a little bit limited in the past, we still have the databases that we can go back and we can do some researching and possibly be able to find this donor and where the recipients were transplanted. And then we can contact the transplant centers and see how the individuals are doing. And we can kind of take it from there and give suggestions to the family about writing to them and kind of letting them know a little bit about their donor. Yeah, and we have some resources at lopa.org. And this is really good because I could be at a church or at a school and someone will come up and say, it's been 13 years or it's been 15 years. Mm -hmm. Can I still get in touch? And so the answer is yes. Check us out today. You can also give us a call, 504-648-3477. We want this to be interactive. We want to hear your stories. Contact us today. We have reached the final segment of this episode of The Gifted Life. And guys, it's going to be a busy month. National Donate Life Month. And here in Louisiana, we do it big. You know, we do. You got your running shoes on? I do. And it's so much fun. But I love everybody gets involved. And, you know, and I wish that it could uh, grow outside of of that month as well. And I think that's the where we're going. The other thing I'm excited about is that Lopa's anniversary. Uh, How old did you say Lopa was? Twenty nine years. Same age as me. Yeah. (laughs) And me. We're all the same age. Why are you looking at me like that? Like you don't really believe me, huh? Yeah. So 29 years of making life happen at Lopa. That's happening April 1st, which is incredible and more great things to come. Uh, We had some great guests some great partners. Couldn't do it without them. You hit the nail on the head, Laurie. We absolutely couldn't do it without them. We want to first, of course, thank our own Michelle DuVernay, Director of Clinical Excellence, for coming in and give us that history lesson about not only LOPA, but organ procurement in general in Louisiana and the United States. We also thank Wade for sharing with us information about eye transplant. 
and how it's going to make all of our lives much better with this technology. Hey, and mark your calendar, save the date. April 21st is Blue and Green Day. We talked about Donate Life Month. So we hope that you wear those blues and greens. We hope that you post it on your social media sites. My nails painted. Got your nails painted. I love it. (laughs) Some people spray paint the, the hair. They, they do the dogs as well, toenails. safely. Yeah. yeah. You did toenails. Yes. Yeah, I like that. The the wigs, uh, they just bring everything to play. I love the creativity. I love this day. But April 21st, we hope that all of social media is filled with blue and green, and you can help do that. How easy is it, you know, to do that? April 21st, keep an eye out for that. And today, today, folks, we hope that you go out and do something that you don't normally do to help us make life happen. Have a great one. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sally Gentry. Our producers are Kirsten Hines and Shalon Carraway. We are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Metairie, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.